Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Mike Capuzzi, the mastermind behind transforming business owners into celebrated authors with his innovative concept of Shooks, short, impactful books that are a breeze to write and read. As the founder of Bite Size Books and the author of 19 books himself, including two Amazon number one bestsellers, Mike has been a marketing wizard since 1998. His expertise doesn't stop at writing. He's also the voice behind the Author Factor podcast. With a mission to elevate trust and authority through concise, valuable content, Mike's approach to book publishing is a game changer for entrepreneurs and CEOs alike. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and talk about authorship, marketing, and book publishing. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Daryl. It's good to yeah. see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. And we had a nice little pre-chat. I'm going to go hug my daughter after this call. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just be like, stop growing. Have some coffee. Yes. I heard that. I heard that helps. Before we get into any of this and marketing and publishing, how did you get started? Were your parents entrepreneurs in marketing and sales, or is this a family uh, business? No, that's actually you're the first person ever asked that. No, my whole family, parents and my sister, are all educators. My dad was a college professor. My mom was elementary school ed. And my sister was a high school and guidance counselor. She still is. My parents are retired. But no, they were, the, in many ways, the complete opposite of entrepreneurs. They were mm -hmm. academics. And I didn't start out as an entrepreneur. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm definitely the black sheep. So then how did you get started? Was it like paper routes? Were you shoveling driveways? Did you have a lemonade stand? I had my first business at 13 years old. So my parents got divorced when I was 13 and they're still friends, believe it or not. But I lived with my mom, we moved and I just needed to help out. And we had an acre of land where we were living. So mm. I had to cut that grass and I bought it. I literally bought a tractor to cut that yard. And then I used that tractor and started up a little lawn cutting business, which I ran for my entire high school career. So that was probably, that was my entrepreneurial start it stopped for a couple of years because then i went to college i did i graduated with an engineering degree i did engineering for a number of years oh, wow moved to a software company that was an engineering software company in a technical role but the important part was they were moving from a technical development house only to a sales and marketing engine and they were asking anybody in the company there was like 50 of us they said, hey, does anyone enjoy, want to join this fledgling marketing department? I raised my hand and kind of the end of it, it's, it was the, really the, the right turn for my career. And I literally traveled all around the world. I didn't travel in your neck of the woods. I almost got to Australia, but instead I got married. My wedding was in the way, but I traveled all through Europe and the United States. The woman who I married, I met for, at that company and really quick, interesting story, Daryl. I, sure. I, I was employee number 57. It was a small company. And this was back in the early 90s. And when I left there in 1998, uh, I had some stock option, which I decided to keep. I'm like, ah, if this company ever goes public, it'll be cool. They missed the dot-com and all that. But it went public three years ago. And I kept all my stock. And it's, it's a nice little windfall that I wasn't really necessarily expecting. But this company is now thousands and thousands. They're a multi-billion dollar company now. That's fantastic. That's a great story. Congratulations. That's And I love that that like owner mindset. I think I think that's almost the way the world's going back. I don't know, time of this recording, it's been, it's past the pandemic and I've talked to a lot of employers and hiring just seems to be really tough these days. And it just seems to be a bit of a vacuum. So I almost think we're almost going full circle where you might see more of that, where employees are treated to be, have more of an owner mentality as well. Like that, 
because that went away for a while. Not everybody was getting stock options when they're getting hired and Walmart, the whole part-time career and the gig economy and that. But that just is like a great story because you were there in the early days and there's that pot for posterity's sake that's lost. It was, yeah, and it, it, it was a family-run company. It was a couple brothers that started it, and it was, I had some of the best times back in the early days. And then as it started growing, when I left, eight, like I was there for eight years, so I was employee number 57. By the time I left, there was a couple thousand employees. That's how much mm. growth there was. And it became a completely different company, but yeah, it was, it was definitely cool. That is very cool. So then you worked there for eight years, and you learned marketing there mostly? Like, that's... We cut your teeth I, I learned corporate sales? marketing. Yeah, it was more corporate style, big brand marketing. And what does that left, mean? Can you well, define? Well, I mean, that typically means back in with like the, we were working with market, big marketing agencies, and advertising, and big budgets, and you know, much more about getting the name of the company out there versus the kind of marketing I focus on primarily now, which is direct response marketing, which is a more focused. You're yeah. trying to get a specific action from your marketing. It's not just about branding and getting the name out there. And that transition happened over a couple of years of just serving fairly large clients early on and then moving more to a smaller business owner with consulting services and stuff back in the early 2000s. Right. I don't know if this is a sideball question, but how does engineering, your engineering background fit in? Was that Did that help? Did that hinder? Both. Mm. Both. Another good question. I love it. Both, actually. So it helps because I tend to be very analytical. Still to this day, I definitely am still like an engineer mindset. It drives my wife nuts. Very analytical. I think through things a lot. So I tend to be a little slower. I don't, I'm not one of those like ready, fire, aim kind of people. I think that's good. I think it also is an Achilles heel. Like I think I can over-engineer things. I can get bogged down in details. <laughs> Like you were saying, you were telling me how quick it is for you to get a podcast episode out. I'm thinking, damn, I'm not too much. It doesn't take me days, but I still like, I, I had this perfectionist attitude and I want everything to be just right. And that's my Achilles heel. But I'm at a point in my life now, Daryl, I'm older. I'm several years older than you are. And I'm just, I'm okay with it. I'm like, okay, I'm okay with this. This is, I'm okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. So what were some of the biggest lessons you've had to learn as you got into marketing and First, maybe you could talk about corporate marketing and then, you know, how to, I'm curious to know, first off, the learning curve in corporate marketing to do it well, because to do it for eight years, you can't be terrible. They wouldn't let you stay in that position. And maybe I'm asking multiple questions at once, but the corporate curve, and then now you go out on your own, you recognize that one, you don't have the budget that doesn't necessarily meet the goals of a smaller and that learning curve. So if you could speak to the first, the corporate one first, and then the transition perhaps. Yeah. So it was only three years. Like I was a technical yeah. role for four or five years. And then that's right. when they made this transition in the company. It was about three years where I was in marketing, if you will, and in the marketing department. And I think the learning curve there was we were literally going from a technical development house to a marketing and sales engine. And they just hired so many people. I think the big thing was, and I started leading a team of people, interestingly enough, and so I think the learning curve there was just like, we, we were all just, we knew what the goal was, which was to grow this company, get the name out there. And everything we were doing was about that. So 
this is back in the days pre, really pre-internet. We had email, but there was, we didn't even have a website back then. And then dial up. Started all that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was. By the way, I actually went to, I don't know if you remember this, a company called CompuServe. You remember CompuServe? Yes, I had an avatar. I, my dad woke up one day to a thousand dollar bill. I had no idea. I saw the thing and I was the one playing on the little <laughs> nice. black and white Macintosh that we had in the basement. And we got this thing in the mail and it was free, but I needed a credit card. And I was like, it's free, but I just need a credit card. So I got my dad's credit card as well, put it in. And then I was using it for a month and a half, 14 day trial. My dad got a bill for a thousand bucks. And uh, I've heard a lot of those kind of stories, yeah. I've heard, I, but I literally went to CompuServe headquarters for a digital marketing thing with our company. And it was just, it was in it, definitely an interesting time I, where I, the segue to direct response marketing and more smaller, not smaller, but just more laser focused kind of marketing. That happened, Daryl, by doing a lot of reading, a lot of, I'm a voracious book reader, reading a lot <laughs> read of classics. Yeah, I do. I do. I still do. I still do. <laughs> and just really studying a lot of the, what used to work in the back in the day with marketing, yeah. with copywriting and advertising and uh, yeah, I haven't looked back since. So what would you recommend to someone who's maybe starting out or struggling? They've put out a shingle. They're mm. like, I'm going to make it rich. And Gosh. then they realize that they don't know how to market themselves. Yeah. Holy moly. That's another great question. Here's what I'll say. The short answer is everything you need to know is out there. It's on podcasts. It's on books. It's on various websites, blogs, et cetera. Everything you need to know about marketing a business out there. That's the first thing. So that's not an excuse anymore. Right. The question, the bigger question is, what do I need? What's the minimum I need to do? What should I be focused on? Because as you and I both know, you can be focused on a ton of things. You're right. Here's my big takeaway for one of the first things, Daryl. It's to really understand, and you alluded when you did my introduction, it's about understanding who you serve specifically, who your target audience is, how you help them fix a big pain or give them a big solution to something, and how you can describe it in such a way that is unique and connected to you. So you mentioned Shooks, which stands for Short Helpful Books. That's our version of nonfiction business book that we published. I did that very intentionally because there's a lot of people that do what I do and I needed a different angle. So I think that's a key thing is to figure out what can you do? How do you serve your clients? But how can you describe it in such a way, package it up in such a way that it feels it's that it's unique to you? I love that. I like to add to that to help illustrate it for people. We often say on the show that problems are markets, not demographics, not those things that yeah. the problem is the market. So first you need to know what the problem is that you're going to solve. And then if you think of that problem, like you would maybe a lake in a forest, there's this lake and around that lake live all these different kinds of birds. They all need the lake because that's their source of life for whatever reason. But some birds eat insects, some birds eat fruits and berries, some birds eat fish, some birds eat other birds, right? And so those are the different stereotypes that live around this problem. And so once you identify what your problem is, you have to figure out your stereotypes, so to speak, that you serve. Because if you are helping someone job hunt, that's the problem. Someone needs a job. Homeless people need jobs and high-powered CEOs need jobs. And that's two different capacities to pay, two different desired experiences, two different stereotypes. You take a hockey game or a basketball game. You got the people that want to stream it at home, people that want to go to the pub with their friends and share the cost, people that want to go, but they don't want to spend a lot of money, sit in the nosebleeds, the people that want to 
have their feet on the grass or the ice, people that want to be in the big fancy box with the bottle service. One game, you know, the problem yeah. is entertainment. So many different experiences. So I think that's a really powerful, just a, such a powerful, it's just simple. And we're not big businesses, you and I, but Blockbuster lost sight of this, got taken out by Netflix. Newspapers lost sight of what problem they solved, got taken out by blogs, right? So I just think it's just a really powerful message I wanted to help drive home. It is. And just to add to one more piece to that puzzle, it's not something, Daryl, that is one and done. It's It can be for a period of time, but technology evolves, the world evolves, things happen. <laughs> so it's one of these things where, you know, it, it's important to understand that you as the CEO, owner, founder of a business, you are a marketer. And a lot of people cringe at that. I don't like marketing. I don't like sales, whatever it might be. No, you have to be your focus. A big part of your focus has to be on the marketing and understanding who your customer, client, patient, student is and how, like you just said, how you uniquely address their problems or challenges or provide solutions. So yeah. It's never a one and done kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. If you help people, but those people don't know you exist, are you going to help yeah, anybody? Right. Right. So I love that. I love that so much. So why books? Why write a book? There's a lot of reasons. Even 2023, Daryl, people still read books. So their books aren't going away. They've been around for hundreds, thousands of years in different formats. I would say for the kind of books that you and I are talking about today, nonfiction business related books, it's really an opportunity for the person, the owner, the business owner, the entrepreneur, the corporate leader who's writing it to really do a lot of things differently than the competition. So we've already talked about how important it is to be uniquely viewed. In this day and age, it is important that you have the slight edge wherever you can get it. And by being a book author, Daryl, you can get that slight edge. You can get it with the marketing promotion of it. You can get it because you're a recognized authority on a topic. You can be speaking, et cetera. So there's a lot of good reason that just everyday people, you don't have to be some big time guru or expert. A local business owner should write a book. Right. Self-publish, put it on Amazon. What, why one or the other? It depends. So guys like you and me that have a worldwide audience, yeah, you're going to want to be on Amazon and other online retailers. But I would say a good two thirds of our clients, Daryl, are local Main Street business owners. They are the local doctor, the local dentist. They want to be five mile famous. They don't need to be on the internet necessarily. They can be. They want to be in XYZ town and be the doctor, the physician or the chiropractor that is known for a certain procedure or whatever it might be. They don't need to be out there. So it makes it, they just wanted that five mile, 10 mile, 15 mile famous. So they can just print books up and use them locally. They can use digital versions on their website, et cetera. How do you translate a book? Like I want to be five mile famous. I've got a martial arts school in a town. It doesn't help me if someone in Jersey knows me because they can't come to my gym. I don't right. need to be on Amazon. But how does having a book translate into business for me? So a lot of different ways. First of all, a lot of folks that write books, they just know they want to write a book. So it's a bucket list thing. So that's one thing. The first, usually the main reason they want to have a legacy. They want, but when you start thinking about it from a marketing angle, it's great for getting on podcasts, right? It's a great podcast guest strategy. I'm sure you've had probably several authors on your podcast. It's great because you can use it in your 
place of business, if you have an office, if you have a, a retail store, you can have it displayed. Uh, that's a very important strategy, by the way, getting that book out there, not only in your own places of business, but in what I call strategic partners. So you mentioned that martial arts studio in Jersey. That martial arts studio owner who wrote a book on, let's say, raising kids who can handle bullies or whatever it might be, they could give out copies of those books to any places where the parents of those kids are hanging out. So other gyms, doctor's offices, different stores, I could just display it and say, hey, take a copy of my book. We're talking fairly inexpensive marketing collateral here. So, and then another key thing there, which I haven't touched on is when you are a book author. So if you have, let's just say two martial arts studios, again, Studio yes. A, Studio A, the, <clears throat> Studio A, the owner has written this book about raising kids who can handle themselves, defend themselves, whatever it might be, right? Confident kids. Stu martial arts studio over here too. The owner there is just your traditional studio and nothing really special. So if a parent is comparing the two and everything's equal, distance, price, whatever, and that first owner has written a book that instantly connects with the parents, chances are if everything else is equal- You wrote that, the book on solving their problem. Right. And they automatically place a higher level of status on that person. How many times have you been to an event where the keynote speaker has a book and at the end they're like, hey, come back to the back, buy a copy, I'll sign it. There is still something special about the respect that published authors garner. And then the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up, is no, it's a point of differentiation. Most people aren't writing books. So by the very fact that you've written a book, chances are your competition hasn't. And that's a, can oftentimes be a game changer. Yeah, I love that. I love that. All things considered equal, people want to do business with their friends. All things not so equal, people still prefer to do business with their friends. And if someone sat down and flipped through and read yeah. your book, they know, they feel like they know you better. They know how you think. They know what you're about. The devil you know versus the devil you don't know type thing. It's the world's greatest business card. It's the world's it, it, best it, business card. It's a very smart point you just brought up, by the way. I always say our books are about one-hour reads. They're designed to be about a one-hour read. How many and I pages? One, what's that? How many pages? Like 100 pages? 100, 100 pages, 120 yeah. pages. We have about 15,000 words. Most business books are about 75 to 100,000. But I say it's a one-hour conversation. Now, you and I are having a conversation today, whatever, 30, 60 minutes. That's pretty cool. But imagine being able to replicate that conversation with the, the, your target readers, your target audience, where they are getting to know and trust you, where they're starting to learn from you. Few market, there's not a lot of marketing collateral. Now podcasts, YouTube channels, they can get there in a different way, but there's still something special about a book. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I agree. I'm biased. I should maybe full disclosure. There's no financial incentive. I actually asked Mike to join us here. So it's not like he's paid for to be here, but I actually really am a fan of what you do because that's basically how I got started. And it wasn't like I was some mastermind. I wrote, I call a, I called them business books for busy people, but about the same, about 15,000, 20,000 words. I wrote three books, put them on Amazon for, for the business category, marketing and sales, practice what I preached. Yep. Now, this is 2000. This is like 2013. One of them, ancient secrets to lead generation, your guide to better leads with less effort hit number one on Amazon for the top 100 in marketing and sales for a couple of days. When I, that got me on radio, uh, yep. local radio, local TV. And it got my first coaching group together. And that wasn't even necessarily really my intent. I was running a martial arts school. I had grown it successfully. I was helping friends with their businesses. And then I sold a trip to go to Japan uh, called Travel Train Travel Train Japan, like 2012 or something, where I basically, I lived in Japan for three years. And I was like, hey, let's go to Japan and do all my favorite things. Hicks and Gracie 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the art I taught, which is obviously from Brazil, but its roots are in Japan. And Hickson, one of the legends there, I trained at his school in Tokyo, and they, he has an annual tournament. So this is like one of the most famous of the legends. And so it was, hey, let's go, let's go volunteer and work at his tournament. Or if you want to compete, you can compete. Let's go train with him and his son at the school. Let's spend a month in Japan, do basically all of my favorite things from the three years I lived in Japan. And a couple of days before I went, a buddy of mine that I'd been helping out called me up and he had gotten promoted from being a sales manager to being CEO of a million, almost $2 million company out of Ottawa. And I was like, Corey, that's great. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I've never been CEO before. I've just been regurgitating your ideas because I was doing all the seminars and the coaching group, right? Like I was buying all the stuff and then his office was above my school. So afterwards we go up and he had a huge wall of whiteboards, right? Because he had the sales team. So we'd smoke weed and wipe it down and just like brainstorm. And he's like, I need you, man. I need you. He's like, I'm going to put you on retainer. I need you to listen to some calls and a couple hours a week type thing. And I'll pay $2,500 a month. And I, in my mind, I was thinking like, that's a way better ticket price than what I'm charging for teaching martial arts. I got to get 10 plus students in order to get. So when I was like, all right, we'll talk about when I get back. I'm like leaving in two days for a month. And then while I was on the flight to Japan, I thought, Maybe I want to get into business coaching. My favorite thing about being a martial arts instructor were the testimonials. And I realized that Corey, their business, they had over a thousand business owners as customers. And I realized by helping business owners, I would have essentially an exponential impact. Every business represented a few hundred customers. But that's what I did. I came back and I worked with Corey. And then I, you know, I asked the things that he needed help with most. And I put into two different, two, two different books. One was a workshop book that doesn't make sense if you didn't don't do the workbook. And yeah, and I put them on. So I'm a huge fan for that because that's. I actually, I didn't go to university and I worked in the States for two years and I had to get a new work visa each time. And you needed to have a four-year undergrad or equivalent. Mm. My book that hit number one on Amazon was my equivalent. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so the power nice. of opening doors. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, like it's the reason why to be interviewed and it is an accomplishment. Like I said, others, I'm a big fan of your service. I think that Pretty much anybody that's a professional needs a book. It's still my best opt-in lead gen now, giving that book away for free on my website. It's still the number one converting lead gen tool yeah. that I've got. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So why only a one hour read? Why only 50,000 words? Why not an encyclopedia? Maybe you could have an encyclopedia, a, a set of short books that make that kind of uh, a set, like the old Encyclopedia Britannica. Listen, it shouldn't come as any revelation. Everyone's more time strapped. Attention spans are down, yada, yada. I I still buy probably a couple books a week from Amazon, Kindle, paperback, and I don't finish most of them. I just don't, I, I get into it. I want to read it and then it gets bogged down. I just believe, Daryl, that the power of a short read, and it's intentionally short, right? That you let people right know right in front. It's a short read. It's not the A to Z encyclopedia. It's for martial arts. It's not the whole thing. It might be just one right. specific strategy, for example. People like that. You as the author appreciate it because it's a heck of a lot faster to publish and write and publish or create and publish, however you're going to do it. Your readers appreciate it. I can get on a plane in New York City and by the time I land in Chicago, I'm done the book. And if I really liked it, I can, whatever the author's suggesting, do that next step. So I always say, Daryl, it's better to have, I think it's better to have three 100 page books than one 300 page book in this day and age yeah. for most topics. Not every, I'm not suggesting long books are bad, but for most business owners, corporate leaders, et cetera, they'd be better served by publishing a couple short books. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Cause then you have a series. Yeah. Right? And you can slice and dice it different topics to track different people. I got to hit number one on Amazon in 2012. And wow. it's not like I was there all year. Obviously a lot more of the competition is different now. 
I know how I got there, but how do you, what does it take to have a best-selling book? You get this oh, a lot. I could tell by, I could, by your body language, I could tell everybody wants to be bestseller. Yeah. And listen, I typically poo it. It's cool that you did it. It's cool that I did it. There's two pathways, right? There is the not so ethical way. And then there's the more ethical way if you went out. Truth be told, Amazon has recently changed how they're doing things. So they've made it a bit harder. But the old unethical way, Daryl, was Amazon puts books in categories. And that's how you get a bestseller tag if you hit a certain metric over a certain amount of time in that category. So they used to allow you to put each type of book, a paperback, you could put it in 10 categories, the Kindle version in another 10 categories. So you had 20 chances, right? And what people were doing to game the system is they would put it in a category that made no sense. So if you wrote a book on martial arts and raising confident kids, oh. they might put it in the coloring book category that re right. requires two books to be sold. So that has changed. They've really, they've cut it down. to so now three categories for each type, it's harder. The way to do it is you have a concerted effort. You have a concerted launch. You get yes. friends, family, clients, everyone you can. You're, you just promote it over a short period of time. And if it's a good book that people want, you should be able to hit no number one, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically how I, people ask how I did it. And I said an F ton of work. That's how I yeah, did it. it, is. it is. I, I was a madman fanning the flames for weeks on end. I hit mm -hmm. number one in marketing and sales, number seven in the business category overall. But you're up against Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends, Influence, people like these mega books. I love how you said that. It's just a concerted effort, a concerted launch. It's a, it's, it's set your hair on fire all day, every day, running around, doing all that you can. Yeah, yeah. There's some things on Amazon you have to do right. There's some things that you have to do. There's a lot of little pieces. It's not even New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal. All of it's a game. They're all games. Few books are organically because it's just a great book. It, there's so much stuff that's happening behind the scenes, but it's still, for a lot of people, it's a nice little badge to have. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. That's a fantastic, that's a fantastic tip. So what do you see? Real quick, real oh, quick yeah, on ahead. that though. I would just, I would always caution people though. Don't get distracted by that shiny object. Create a good book that's going to solve a problem. Like it's a book publishing and leveraging a book in your business it's a long-term game. It, your book is over 10 years ago and you're saying it's still working for you or a couple of years oh, ago yeah. at least. Oh yeah. That's a long-term play. So you weren't distracted by hitting number one and that's all you were focused on. Write a great book, get it out there and then market the hell out of it over time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think a lot of book sales too, they drop off something like after oh, yeah. the first month. It's yeah. like the sales first month and then it's just, it just floats. And then the, yeah. and then if it's truly good, it gets how many books have been discovered after the author even passed away. So I, I think that's a really good point. I think that, like you said, people want that feather in the cap. Can you speak to people that are waiting for a publisher to publish their book for them? Can we speak to mm. that? The people that think my stuff is so great. If the world <laughs> just saw it, if my stuff is so great, if the world just saw it, I would be rich. That's a different, that's a different thing than a publisher. Even that's like even a different question. That's almost like you said earlier, like I'll build it and it'll come. Specifically the publisher question. There are, first of all, Amazon's made self-publishing really easy. So self-publishing, you can do it yourself. You can work with a hybrid publisher like my company, or you can work with a traditional publisher. For a lot of people, Daryl, it's much faster, much easier, much more cost-effective. You keep more of the money to self-publish, right? If you go work with a traditional publisher, which I have yet to do because I know enough to just 
be dangerous on my own. But there's still, I, there's part of me that still would like to do a traditionally published book, but it, a lot of people are involved. It's like committees and meetings and all this stuff that just makes my head spin and blow up. But you do have the allure or the badge of maybe a big time publisher publishing your book. You're still primarily responsible for the marketing and promotion. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. So You're still, let's repeat that. Let's repeat that. You are still responsible for marketing and promoting your book. I'm so glad you said that. The traditional ones, the way I understand it, is they're more interested in bringing someone on board yeah. who already has a following because they've got 40 other artists or authors that write in the same category. And they think your readers will also buy their books. So mm. they, as the publishing company overall, will make a net profit because instead of advertising 40 authors one by one, they can bring you into the fold. And then all your book buyers see their little badge and have their website on the back of the book and that. And it's a you know, it's a concerted, and there is benefits. You maybe get to go on a speaking yeah, tour yeah. with the other authors and it's like a strategic partnership thing. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day, you still have to be somebody to get there, so to speak. And the lineup of people waiting to have somebody else make them <laughs> rich and famous and discover them is yeah. so long. If you got in that lineup when you were born, you would die before you got even halfway to the front. No one is coming to save you. You need to discover yourself and promote yourself yeah. And I just, maybe you disagree. I don't know, but now you got it. Yeah. So how do you market and sell a book for someone that's curious well, about that? I actually, it's on Amazon. They had a little plug. I just published a book. Sure. I actually wrote it a couple of years ago. I updated it recently this year and I just put it up on Amazon. I didn't do it launch. I just wanted to get it on Amazon. So it wasn't a big concerted effort there, but it's called the magic of free books. And typically Daryl, the kind of books that my clients are publishing, they're looking to give them away to the right people. They're not worried about selling them. So the magic of free books lists like 60 some odd strategies and tactics to market with a book. Now, again, this is different than I have a book, it's $20 and I'm trying to make $7 every time I sell a copy or something like that. That's not the, we're talking about the local business owner, the local corporate leader who's trying to promote his or her business and is using a book. So there's some very specific strategies that are in the magic of free books, but it's online, offline, in person, every which way. You you get on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. There's a uh, your there's hair no on shortage. Fire. Yeah. Do it all. Was it the guy said, I need a hundred customers. Give guru, tell me how to get a hundred customers. And the guru says, I don't know one way to get a hundred customers. I know a hundred ways to get yeah. one. Yeah. And we need so you need to do them all. I think that is probably part of your message there. Go check out the magic of free books as well, written by Mike Capuzzi for more specific instructions on that. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Now, I, again, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but how does the book translate into business? How do you put offer in the book? How do you, how do you? It depends. Yeah. Yeah. So great question. And that's the kind of books we publish are direct response books. So they're meant to elicit specific responses. So in my mm -hmm. books, if you go at the end, I'll give your listeners a chance to read three of my short, helpful books for free. Oh, wow. Every one of them has a direct connection to me. If you're interested in public working with us and publishing with us, the first step is a, a Zoom meeting with me. So that's that call to action. We make money when people find us through our books and then hire us. Locally, it could be as I have a, a retailer who wrote a, he's a mattress retailer. He wrote a book on sleeping better. His call to action is to come in and get a free custom pillow, right? He just wants to get that person in the door so he can start talking to them about why they're different. It's not necessarily about selling a product specifically, Daryl. It's about starting the conversation with the book yes. and leading them up down a pathway 
where those percentage of readers who want more from you will take those next steps. I love that. So some sort of free quote, free trial, free way. If you like this, you want a free diagnostic tool of some sort. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making with their book? I'll tell you the number one. There's, on the front end, when it comes to writing it, it's thinking that they're not smart enough. They're not a good enough writer. Who am I to write a book? It's that head trash, right? So the biggest mistake I see is people getting in their own way when it comes to writing a book. After it's done, and this happens, oh gosh, what happens, Daryl, is they get it, they launch it, they do whatever, it's all excited, they get the box of books, they hand them out to their friends and family, yada, and then about two weeks later, they're on to something else, and the books are sitting in a box, and they forget about it, and again, I mentioned earlier, it's a long-term game, you've got to figure out ways to use this and use it year after year, and just keep leveraging that thing. I love that. I, I Once upon a time, I paid Emith a lot of money, long time ago. And I remember that I started off buying the book, the E-Myth, and then I bought the E-Myth Mastery, and then I bought their $197 online course. Right, yeah, yeah. And then I paid for the five grand coaching program. So I think also people consider this a way, almost like a, not so much a loss leader, as you said, but just to get that conversation going, right? It's the world's best business book. It gets people to understand your, how, what the problem is that you solve, your approach to solving it and why the way you solve it is better than alternatives. And it just, like you said, it, it gives you an authority. It's a credibility tool. It allows you to be VIP in certain respects. It gets you speaking engagements, gets you interviews. I just think it's incredibly powerful. So what do you feel are some of the habits that the most successful authors that you've worked with have? And it can be outside of the book, but just in general. Yeah. No, again, I think one of the things is they live and breathe the promotion of the book beyond initial launch and publication. So that's one thing. I think it's also, they are their own best advocates. They're not waiting for things to happen. They're out there making stuff happen. It's, you can see it's getting dark where I'm located and I don't have lights on in my office right now. So it's, it's being our time difference, right? This is evening where I am. It's being willing to be on podcasts after normal hours. It's about all kinds of things. It's, I would say the most successful authors are doing a lot and doing it persistently and consistently. And then the other thing, Daryl, is they're not one and done. It's just not one book. Unless there's some reason, it's they, they once they're bit by the bug, they have another, they see another opportunity that a book could serve. So they tend to be multi-book authors. Is there a cadence? Because I mm. think that's the problem a lot of people have is if I do all this time and energy for this book and I put it out there and it can be tough to market like a list of books. Yeah, yeah. So what do you yeah, that's another great question. I've heard people, I, there's one woman I know, she was, it was a gimmick, but she was like, I'm going to publish 12 books, one a month for a year. That's more of a gimmick, but it can be done, especially now with AI, it could really be done. But I'm, I'm in that 12, 18, 24 month window because it is exhausting. If you're going to do a launch correctly, it's exhausting. You want to ride out that, you want to ride that horse for a while before you start talking about something else. But if you are a thought leader, someone who has something, a message people want to hear about from, they're going to, your people, your followers are going to want more from you. So they're going to expect another book. Mm, so let's, <clears throat> and here's the reading between the lines of what Mike just said, your followers. And this is 
a really key thing I think we need to hit is that you need to try to use the book to build a list and that yeah. your Facebook followers are not an asset. Yeah. They are an advantage, but they're not an asset. I, this is something I really, MySpace used to be a big thing. And where is it now? YouTube originally <laughs> started, if you use the archive.org, you go back, look back at the beginning of YouTube, it was a dating site. I huh. am looking for a between the ages of YouTube. It was your channel, your videos, so people could get to know you and date you. So the internet is very transient. And I remember in 2013, I had helped a client grow their Facebook following from 30,000 to 300,000 Facebook followers. We were getting millions of organic impressions a week, driving sales, happy days. January 1st with no notice, Facebook introduces the boost post feature. So we go from getting over 3 million organic impressions a week to barely half a million. And to get the reach that we had before, we would have to pay to boost our post mm -hmm. between $700 and $1,400 per Facebook post. Nice. And you can't export your Facebook friends. When you post, you have to, your post competes with your friend, their friends having babies, getting married, graduating, <laughs> grandma passing away, all that stuff. Whereas if you have an email list and phone number, you can message them. You can import those to run ads to. You can import those to invite them to follow your page. You can email them and say, hey, I'm here too. But you can't export your LinkedIn contacts. You can't export your YouTube subscribers. So that was the reading between the lines of what Mike just said is that you need to use the list. Part of the purpose of the book yes. needs to be to help build a yes. list that you yes. own in your own database. And then you need to feed them more content from you on a regular basis. I think that's a really critical message, a very important message. There's so many businesses that I how many of us, I think people listening to this will probably happen today or tomorrow or sometime in the week. You'll go to a restaurant, you'll sit down. You may have never been to that restaurant before. You will spend money. You'll get up and leave. They will have no idea who you are. I know. No idea how to invite you back. And like, I, yeah. So I it's, think it's funny you mentioned that example, Daryl, because probably 10 years ago, it's on my blog. I've been, my blog's over a decade old or 15 years old, but I was at a restaurant and at the end of the rest of the dinner, my wife and I was a nice restaurant, local, independent restaurant. They gave us a little slip saying, hey, this is probably 2010, 2011. So early on, they said, hey, if you want to be on our email list, just so you could stay in touch with us and hear about our specials events and all. I wrote about that. Like it was yeah. like such an epiphany to see a local business owner doing something. So smart. So smart. Because it's so much easier to just invite someone back. I remember I went to a sushi shop in my hometown in Canada. And it was just like some of the, in Canada anyways, it was some of the best sushi I'd had. I lived in Japan for three years, so I know authentic sushi, right? So I'm in Canada in this small town. This place is great. And I was like, do you have a list, an email list? Does something I get on there? Like, no, I don't. I'm like, do you need that? Because it's not even, I don't like you. I just live on the other part of town. And so out of sight, out of mind, like you need yeah. to find a way. And a lot of people figure that out with COVID. They had to build a list. You know, there's a saying I use, I haven't used it lately, so I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's not your customer's job to remember you. It's your job as the business owner to remember ooh, that. Ooh, it's your job. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Think about it, right? It's yep. not it's not the customer's job to remember that sushi restaurant. Oh, was it there? Was it there? It's that owner should be in front of you with offers and opportunities. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we used to say it's people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. Mm. You got to stay in touch. But I think that's even better the way you said that.
Mike, where do you think this is going? You mentioned AI. Where do you think things are going to be in 5, 10, 15 years? Oh, God knows, Daryl. I wouldn't even want to... 5, 10, 15 years by internet time is like a century of old time. I will say AI has me extremely excited. It has me concerned. It has me scared. So all the above. Is it, and I'm sure you've been playing with it. it. There's some amazing things you can do, amazing research you can do. I don't think it's ever... I'm sure a lot of folks just say bastardize how the Amazon number one bestseller campaigns. I'm sure, yes, you can write a book with AI and never craft a single word of it, but that's not what I'm talking about. You can use it to help you strategize, brainstorm ideas, et cetera. But I think it's definitely, it's here to stay. And yeah. now it's a matter of figuring out suitable tools, suitable ways of using it, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a tool. I read a great book called, it's not an easy read. It's called The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch. He's the godfather of quantum mm. computing. He's a physicist. Mm. And his views on AI are intriguing, to say the least. But for to spare everyone the time, really, it's a tool. This is a tool where we had. The sentient, a sentient entity is still a long way away. The test that we developed, like the Turing test, which was essentially if it can fool a person into thinking that it's alive, then it's alive. That's not good science. Science is specific explanations that are hard to vary without changing the outcome, which is how we figured out we're in the middle. We're not the center of the universe. We used to think that we were the center of the universe. And then with telescopes, they were able to see things like the phases of the moon and specifically the phases of Venus. So just like you have full moon, crescent moon, right? They, Venus has that. And the only way to explain that is with specific geometry and physics that for the phases of the moon of Venus to be explained, that must mean it must be moving at this speed, in this manner, in this relationship to us, and the light must be coming from this source. And that explains it all. And you can't change any of those details without ruining the whole thing. Whereas before the Greeks thought it was because some god was kidnapped and taken to the underworld and being raped, but she gets to come home and visit her family. And that's when we have spring and summer. But there's just so many details you can vary in that. And it doesn't affect the outcome at all. Why don't they have it winter on the equator? There's all these details that ruin the outcome. And so right now it's really a tool, like like calculators for bookkeepers and accountants. Yeah. I used to take them all day to do the math. But now yeah, the productive ones become more productive and the non-productive ones lose their excuse for why it's taking them a day to tell you two plus two equals four. Yeah. And that's really, we just have better tools right now. So it can help with research. It can help with crafting messages. But at the end of the day, I still think people are going to want concise, condensed, like I can ask AI, but man, if you've done all that research for me and you put it in a handy little hundred word book, I don't have to sit down. Page. I don't, hey, hundred word oh, sorry. book. Sorry, sorry, hundred page, right. That might be something new, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called a pamphlet. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's called that. <laughs> it's a flyer. I think it's a flyer. It's a business card for some people. No, a hundred, hundred page book. I don't have to think of what the right questions are to ask. I don't have to do that. I don't have to compile it, context it. I think I don't think books are going anywhere. But anyway, I asked you your opinion, not mine. Mike, if people have loved this, I do want to be respectful of your time. If people have loved this, if they want to learn more, where where should they go? Yeah. So our publishing website is bite-sized with a D, bitesizedbooks.com. But with your permission, I have, I'm going to show you. I'm not sure they'll see it, but I've got three of my short books, short helpful books. The Magic of Working Together, The Magic of Short Books. This is one of the Amazon number one bestsellers. And then The Magic of Gratitude. They can read them for free if they go to mikecapuzzi.com forward slash magic. So we call it our magic kit. So mikecapuzzi.com forward slash magic. Let me know you heard me on Daryl's show and you can grab those three books. 
So check out, I was actually just looking at the images on the bitesizedbooks.com. I actually know a lot of these people in your image here. I know yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's funny. But fun. go check out bitesizedbooks.com or to get the freebies, go to mikecapuzzi.com slash magic. That is M-I-K-E-C-A-P-U-Z-Z-I, capuzzi.com slash magic. Magic. You can get the magic of short books, the magic of working together, and the magic of gratitude for free. All you need is a name and an email. Mike, this has been such a great interview. I got a couple, I got three pages of notes, I think, here. People may <laughs> want to listen to it again, just to make sure they got all the goods out. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, first of all, Dow, this was really fun. Like you're a very good host. I really appreciate like these weren't canned questions. So I appreciate that because sometimes they can be a little more canned. No, but I would like to leave if I could. I'm going to have to read it because I don't want to bastardize it. But I'm not a sure. big Grateful Dead Jerry Garcia guy. Sure. But I think we'll put a nice bow tie do on a do lot it. of what we talked about. So this is from Jerry Garcia. He's no longer with us. And Jerry said, it's not enough to be the best at what you do. You must be perceived as the only one who does what you do. So this goes back to what you and I talked about almost an hour ago. It's important that everyone listening figure this out. Yes, we all have competition. Chances are we're all doing something that someone else is doing. How can you put a wrapper around it to make it sound like you're, the perception is that you're the only one who does what you do? That's why I developed the Shook, the short, helpful book, which is our brand, a lot of people publish books, but we're the only ones that publish a short, helpful book, a shook. I love that. I love that. I love that. It's not enough to be the best at what you do. You must be seen as the only one who does what you do. I think that's fantastic. And just to add to that, with the research that we've done, I think I told you about before, my loyal listeners know, one of the things when it came to money management and how to success properly and reinvest money or use money in a business was investing in assets. And assets is something like a book. It could also be equipment that provide, if you're a hairstylist and you put a playground so the kids can play while mom's getting her hair done. These little assets are a huge advantage in building a moat around your business that helps separate you from the competition. And I personally think that a book is a great one for everyone to include. Mike, Thank you so much for joining us today, sending love to you and your family, and maybe we'll have you back on some point in time for a follow-up. All right. Hey, Daryl, thank you very much.